0: You know, there are certain subjects that we, as parents, look at and we think about them. And oftentimes, as parents, we consider if they're age-appropriate for our kids or not. Sometimes we look at circles of other families and we realize that their age of appropriateness is at a different level than what we may have for our own children. Uh, Eschatology is simply the study of end times. And sometimes as we think about the topic of eschatology, we sometimes think about that in an age-appropriate manner. We don't think about it in age appropriateness as far as our age, physical age, goes. But sometimes we think about eschatology and we think about it in regards to our spiritual age. Some of us will look at the book of Revelation and we'll say, Whoa, that's too much for me. I, I, don't, I don't want any part of that. Uh, Some of us, as we think about eschatology, as we think about the study of future events, sometimes we just think, well, you know, maybe someday, but I'll leave that. And sometimes even as leaders, when we think about the topic of eschatology, we want to put it off and not study it. But this morning, as we continue journeying through Thessalonians, we find ourselves looking at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And as we look at this passage this morning we see Paul speaking to clarify some topics and some items of eschatology. He is sharing with them and he's speaking to them about the gathering together of the saints. And he begins to speak to them and introduces them to the man of lawlessness. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning, is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we want to examine these first five verses. And as we do this this morning... There are two headings that we're going to use to kind of lead us through these verses. The first one we see is the deception. And Paul speaks about the deception that's taking place in Thessalonica. And then he speaks about the clarification. He wants to clarify and and show them and reveal to them and help them so that they are not deceived. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. As we open up to 2 Thessalonians Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 together. I'll read it aloud in my copy of the Scriptures, and you can follow along. This says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the lord has come let no one see deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of god proclaiming himself to be god do you not remember That when I was still with you, I told you these things. Father, we are grateful for this morning. Grateful for the opportunity to be gathered together this morning. And as we look into your word this morning, I pray that your word would look into us. I pray that you would open our hearts and that you would open our minds. And that we would glean from you this morning. That we wouldn't hear the words of some man. But that your word would speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, take my mind and my tongue and my thoughts and allow me to proclaim what you'd have us to hear. Nothing more, Lord, but certainly nothing less either. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, the first thing we want to look at is the deception. Look at verse 1 there. He begins and he says, Now concerning, now concerning, Now, we have talked about Paul sending out his first letter to the Thessalonian church, and we walked through 1 Thessalonians together. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote to them, and he shared some things with them and taught them some things. We know that Paul was just in Thessalonica for a short period of time and they were experiencing great persecution and Paul shared with them some things about that persecution and gave some other teachings there to them in that letter that he wrote. And it was just a short time later that he wrote Second Thessalonians. Uh, and that's where we find ourselves here. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul is seeking to clarify a few things that were listed and shared in 1 Thessalonians and some things that he's heard reports of that are going on there in Thessalonica. And so as he has moved through this letter in chapter 1, we saw him sharing about the persecution that they were facing. We saw him share with them that those who were doing the persecuting were going to receive their due reward. There was going to be payback for what they were doing. And then at the end of chapter 1, we saw Paul sharing his prayer report with them. This is what I'm praying for in the midst of your persecution. This is what I'm praying for. And so chapter 2 begins, and we see him changing topics here. And he begins this change of topic by saying now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Paul spoke about this in 1 Thessalonians. This was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. He said this, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now it's interesting that he's writing this letter to such a young church. But he is sharing with them and he is giving them the facts of eschatology. He's speaking to them about what's going to happen in the future. And he shares with them about the rapture and how the rapture is going to unfold and how they're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds. And that's what they are looking forward to. And that's what we are still looking forward to is the rapture of the church. Now, Paul didn't want them to be confused. He is seeking to clarify what they have been taught. He's seeking to clarify some of the misinformation that has come their way. And Paul would give further clarification to them and and direct it to them. Now, the people of Thessalonica, the believers that were there, were experiencing great persecution. We saw that in 1 Thessalonians, and we saw that emphasis again in chapter 1 here of the persecution that they were experiencing. As they were experiencing that persecution, they were expecting some relief. They were expecting to to have relief from that. As you think about the persecution that was coming their way, uh, persecution sometimes can be hard on the troops. It It can cause morale issues. And that's what Paul is seeking and sensing is taking place. And so in this, he shared about it in chapter one. And now he's seeking to clarify about them being gathered together with Christ here in chapter two. Now, notice this verse one continues. It says, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. Paul does not want them to be deceived. Paul desires that they would not be deceived. He knows that as young believers, that they can easily be deceived. And he wants to keep them from being deceived. Now, as we look at this, we see that there must have been some word that has come to them that shared with them that the day of the Lord had come. Somebody must have spoken a word of prophecy and claimed this is from the Lord. Somebody uh, may have shared something that, that they claimed came from Paul. And it says here, it says, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us. So somehow one of these things came, or all of these things came to them, and it caused them to be concerned. And he says, don't let that bother you. Don't let that, as you hear that, and it's saying to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Don't be shaken. Don't be alarmed by that. Because it's simply not true. It's simply not true. Even though that's been declared by somebody, it's not true. This deceptive word that was shared within their midst had declared that this persecution that they were in the midst of was not just persecution from man, but this in fact was the tribulation period that they found themselves in. Now the tribulation period is different than the persecution, the persecution is coming by man uh, and coming against the church. But the tribulation period is going to be the judgment of God. And the judgment of God is going to be poured out onto the world. And when the judgment of God is being poured out, it's going to be different than what they had seen. It's going to be different than what they could what they could grasp. And so uh, they would have been shaken. As Paul shared this and shared about uh, the rapture, they would have been shaken if this false teaching would have come and said, you missed the rapture, you're in the midst of the tribulation. But because they were waiting for that relief, because they were waiting to be taken out and they heard that teaching that the tribulation has come, that's what made them panic. If they didn't know anything about the rapture, if God, if Paul only told them, God, Jesus, Paul, Paul, if Paul had told them that the tribulation period was going to happen and then the return of Christ would happen, when this tribulation started, they would have been okay with that. Because they would have recognized, hey, this is the tribulation period. The next thing we have is the coming of Christ. Yeah, yeah, bring on the tribulation. But what bothered them was the teaching they had missed the rapture. And instead, they were in the midst of the day of the Lord. That's what caused them to panic. And that's why Paul is writing this letter saying, you didn't have to be shaken, you don't have to be shaken. As we look at this, and this is 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10. It says this, Paul wrote this to him in 1 Thessalonians. To wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's the relief that they were waiting for. This persecution can happen, but they were waiting for Jesus to deliver them from the wrath to come. But someone came and shared, hey, this is the wrath of God. You've missed it. You've missed it. And that's what's caused this panic. This is what's caused them to be troubled. And so Paul wants them not to be deceived. Paul wants them not to be quickly shaken. He's reassuring them that the tribulation has not taken place yet. He's reassuring them that the rapture of the church has not happened yet that they did not miss out on the rapture of the church. But that's the deception that was taking place. That's the deception that was being poured into the church of Thessalonica. Now, after that, he gives them a word of clarification. He wants to straighten this out. He says this, For that day. Now, as we look at this phrase, for that day, Paul is speaking about the day of the Lord. That's what he is speaking about. Now, it's important for us to understand that the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period. The day of the Lord is a period of time where things are going to unfold, where God is going to step in and God is going to bring about judgment. The day of the Lord is going to include the tribulation period that's going to be seven years. Daniel shares with us the length of time that tribulation period is going to happen. For seven years, God is going to bring judgment upon the world in that seven-year period. Uh, During that time of the Lord, the second coming is going to take place. Christ is going to put down the rebellion and he's going to establish his kingdom. And he's going to reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Satan will be bound during that thousand years and Satan won't have an influence for that thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be loosed and he will come and Christ will defeat Satan in that moment, at that time, at the end of that thousand years. And then at the end of that thousand years is going to be the Great White Throne Judgment. And the Great White Throne Judgment is where every unbeliever is going to stand before the judge, Jesus Christ. And they're going to be judged for the works that they have done. And then those who fail the judgment seat of Christ, they are going to be cast into the lake of fire. But all of the believers, we're going to go into eternity. And we're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. We won't be before the great white throne judgment as believers. We won't have to endure that. That is only for unbelievers. But that's the day of the Lord. And during that time of tribulation, When God pours out his judgment, God is going going to demonstrate that he is the sovereign God. And I want to underline that word, the. God is the sovereign God. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 through 3. This is what Paul shared in that first letter. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. As we look at Revelation and we see how God unfolds His judgment, it begins very light. But as we move through the the seals and through the trumpets and we look at the bowls of judgment, those bowls of judgment are just on top of each other as they come, and they grow more and more intense as time comes. Just like labor pains. When it first starts out, it's just light, not as bad. But, in comparison to the end, it's light, not as bad, right? Some of the ladies rolled my eyes when I said it starts not bad. But. <laughs> Who are you? What do you know? Well, I missed a big buck one time. I know exactly what you're feeling. <laughs> but those, those labor pains start out light, right? in comparison to the way they end and they grow in intensity and they grow in, in how rapid they come as well. Uh, And so that's how, as we look at the book of revelation, that's how that judgment of God is going to unfold. And the persecution that they were experiencing was not the tribulation period. It was not the judgment that God is going to pour out onto the world. And the believers of Thessalonica thought they were in the midst of the tribulation They thought they were living out the tribulation. And that's what Paul is writing. Paul had told them that they would not experience that wrath. He shared this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the day of the Lord is going to be God pouring out His wrath. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God upon himself for us on the cross. You see Jesus Christ lived a perfect life because none of us could, but he did it for us and he went to the cross and he hung on that cross and he paid the pen the penalty for our sin and the wrath of God was poured out upon Christ when he was on that cross. So our death as believers has been paid. We don't need to endure the wrath of God because Christ already did that for us. And Paul shares that with the people of Thessalonica is that you'll be spared from that heavy, heavy judgment that's going to be poured out. There will be rest for you. Now he says, you know that this has not come yet. And there's some signs that are going to take place. These signs don't precede the rapture. But these signs proceed the tribulation period. They're going to be taking place in the tribulation period. Verse 3 continues. It says this For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. So Paul tells them that they're not living in the tribulation period like they think they are because the tribulation has not happened yet. This rebellion. Hasn't happened yet. This rebellion is what's going to come first. Now, some translations use the word apostasy here. Uh, The day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. But that apostasy, this word, carries the idea of rebellion. It carries the idea of those being against God. And as we think about this turning against God, this is going to be a deliberate uh, defection. This is going to be a deliberate uh, turning away from God. There's going to be a turning away from religious positions. There's going to be a mindset that's different. Uh, This will not be uh, something, this is going to be a huge thing that's going to be taking place, okay, during that time. Paul spoke about how it will begin to happen as we move towards the end of the age. This is 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Paul says, understand this, that in the last days, There will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, as we look at this and as we see the way the world is now, We are moving in that direction, right? There are people who teach that we're going to get better, that we will improve on our own. That is not the case. And as we look at the world around us, we see that is not the case. But it is going to get worse. It is going to get worse. We see this in this time period. But when we move into that tribulation period, there is going to be a great apostasy. There is going to be a great turning against God. Jesus spoke of that time of apostasy in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 verse 10 says this, And then many will fall away. They will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So there will be a time when this lawlessness reaches the greatest of pentacles. And we have not seen that yet. Paul says, or Jesus says in the book of Matthew that it will be like the times of Noah. And we think, boy, things are getting bad. It's like the time of Noah. But how many people were spared on Noah's ark? Eight, you think about a world full of people and there were eight who were spared. That was a time of apostasy. That was a time when people's backs were turned against God. And after the church has taken up in the rapture, that time of apostasy is going to be great. There is going to be a great turning away from God. Now there are people who are going to get saved during the tribulation period, but there is going to be a great apostasy that takes place during that period. Now notice verse 3 as it continues. For that day will come, a day will not come, sorry, unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. This man of lawlessness is known as the Antichrist. This is who he is. He's known as other names as well, the man of sin. He is the beast. In the the book of Revelation, he's referred to as the beast. Uh, He's referred to as the son of perdition. Uh, Daniel has some other titles for him as well. But he is an individual. He is an individual. There are some who believe that he's a system or that he's an office But as we look at Scripture, and as we see Daniel identify him, as we see Jesus identify him, as we see Paul identify him, he is an individual. He is an individual. And sin will have absolute dominion over him. Sin will dominate him. Uh, He will be the embodiment of sin. There have been people who have declared and shared that This is going to be like Hitler. This is going to be like Stalin. This is going to be like Nero and some of those great kings of the past. Those men will not hold a candle to the Antichrist. This man is not Satan, but he is going to be empowered by Satan. He's going to be able to do things that people see as miracles because he'll have the power of Satan. And as a result of that, as he claims to be the false Christ, there are going to be people who follow this man of lawlessness. There are going to be people who follow this son of destruction. And that thought of son of destruction or son of perdition just simply means he is doomed. And when we get to the end of Revelation, and we see the end of Revelation, the great white throne judgment, the false prophet, Satan, and the beast or the Antichrist are gonna be thrown into the lake of fire. That's gonna be their judgment, that's gonna be their penalty forever and forever. Now notice verse three as it continues. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself. To be God. Now we read here that the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So there's this thought here, there's this recognition here that he will be in the world, but there will be a definite moment when he is revealed. Now we don't know who the Antichrist is. We don't know who he is. Uh, he may be in the world already. We don't know that. But there will be a time when he is revealed and people will see him and recognize him. And like I said, they will be drawn to him for the things that he can do. At first, he will come and he will proclaim peace. And as we think about the rapture and how the rapture happens, it's going to cause the whole world to be in a turmoil. We think about the impact that COVID had. There was that period of time where everybody's panicking. We didn't know what to do. You know, we didn't know what button to push on the remote. Uh, All of those things took place. When the rapture of the church happens, you think about billions and billions of people being caught up to meet Christ in the in the clouds. There's going to be a time of uncertainty. But this Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going to proclaim peace. And people are going to want to follow him because he's going to be a peaceful voice in the, sound, in the midst of that turmoil. And for three and a half years, things are going to go well with him. But then in the last three and a half years, Things are going to come unravel. This man of lawlessness in that last three and a half years is going to exalt himself. He's going to exalt himself. It says he opposes, he will exalt himself against every so called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Now, right now, there is no temple. Right now, there is no temple, it has been destroyed right now the Dome of the Rock, which is Islam's sacred site, that right now is on the Temple Mount. And because of the conflict between the Jews and and Islam, the Muslims, uh, that temple is not going to be rebuilt anytime soon. But something's going to have to happen to remove the Dome of the Rock so that temple can be constructed. So the temple is not constructed yet, but it will be constructed. Many believe that the Antichrist will come, and in that voice of peace, he will bring peace, and he will grant the Jews permission to build their temple on the on the Mount, uh, on the Temple Mount. And when that temple is built, three and a half years, everything's going to be peachy cream. There's going to be thoughts of peace and prosperity, and things are going to go well. But at the end of that three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to go into the temple, and he's going to proclaim himself to be the one to be worshipped. And that is the ultimate apostasy. That is the ultimate turning your back against God and rebelling against God. This is Revelation 13, verse 14. It says this, And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So he will create for himself an image that will be worshiped, and he will demand that it will be worshiped, that nothing else can be worshiped, but only him can be worshiped. And as he seats himself in the temple of God, uh, that is going to be the ultimate. The ultimate apostasy is going to be that. This is Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus says this So when you see the abomination of desolation, and that's what that's called when he stands there and proclaims for people to worship him. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. That is what it is. That's what Daniel was speaking of. And that's what Paul is speaking of here to the people of Thessalonica. That happens, when that happens, that's what begins the great tribulation. And the last three and a half years of the tribulation is known as the great tribulation. And that's when the labor pains are at its greatest. When it's going to be one thing after another that's going to begin to pour on and come upon the world. The church of Thessalonica is clearly not in the midst of tribulation. They are experiencing severe persecution. Just as Paul told them, you are going to experience severe persecution. But this severe persecution is not the judgment of God. It is not the ultimate judgment of God. That ultimate judgment of God is going to come, but first, the church is going to be caught up in the rapture. And then after the church is caught up in the rapture, the other things of the tribulation period are going to unfold. The church of Thessalonica is not there. Notice what he says in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. Paul wanted them to have their memory refreshed. You will not go through the tribulation. You did not miss it. You are upset thinking that you missed it, but you did not miss it. You did not miss it. Paul had taught them about how it was going to unfold. And they were to ignore any deceptive teaching that would make them think otherwise. And they would not have been panicked if Paul had not taught them that they would be raptured out before the judgment of God came. And he reminds them of that because they had forgotten, because they had been deceived. So there you have it, the deception and the clarification. Now, as we think about that, as we think about this passage of Scripture, what can we take home from this? I mean, what do we apply to our Sunday afternoon? I think the first thing that we can be mindful of is that we don't need to be quickly shaken. We do not need to be deceived. As we look at the things that are going on in the world around us, we can rest in the fact that God is sovereign. Let me say that one more time. God is sovereign. That means that God is in control. That means that there's nothing that's going to happen that's outside of God's control. We can rest assured of that. We have that assurance. And you know, as we think about that, as we see all of the unrest that's going on in the world around us, we take that in and we can pray for our brothers and sisters and pray for their protection. But you know, we should be looking forward to that time when the trumpet sounds. Because when the trumpet sounds, we're going to be caught up and we're going to leave this place. And it's going to happen as quick as a blink of an eye. I can remember before I turned 30 uh, last week. (laughs) I can remember thinking that, you know what? I'm going to get my life straightened out. I'm going to begin to live for Christ when I feel like the time is near. But I'm so thankful that I didn't do that. Because it can happen in a twinkling of an eye in just a moment. Quicker than we can blink, all of this could unfold. And we can be caught up with Christ in the clouds. And so as we think about that, as we think, of, and think about all that's going on in the world, we need to make sure that we're ready We're ready when that trumpet sounds so that we can be caught up with Christ and we can be at home with him. We talked about it in Sunday school, how Christ is going to come. The bridegroom is going to come for his bride. John chapter 14 talks about this, how how he'll come back for his bride. And when he comes up, comes back for his bride, he's going to take us with him back to the father's house. Just as a bridegroom would come and collect his bride. That's what Christ is going to do, and we should be looking forward to that. But you know, there's preparations that need to be done. First of all, we need to recognize that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We need to recognize that Jesus lived a perfect life, lived a sin-free life, and he died on that cross to pay the debt of our sin. And if we would believe in him and receive him as Lord and Savior, then we too can be ready for his return. We too can be ready that when we will be caught up with them in the clouds. But we've got to be ready for that. We've got to look forward to that time. So grateful for that promise. And as we look at the tribulation period, the wrath of God is going to be nearly unbearable. It is going to be nearly unbearable. And that's real. We've got to recognize that. We've got to make sure that we're right with Christ. But we also got to be reaching out to other people so that they too can be ready for the return of Christ. Because when the wrath of God is poured out, it's not going to be like anything we've ever seen before.